You're about to hear a Lord's Day sermon that was preached at Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. This sermon comes from a series called That You May Believe. In this series, we take a long journey through the gospel according to John to discover who Jesus is and why it matters. We hope you enjoy this audio. Hear the word of the Lord from John 4, 27 through 42. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning, church. Uh, I feel extra hype this morning, uh, so if this gets uh, uh, out of control this morning, I blame it on the worship team. All right, that was, uh, that was fire this morning. Uh, thank you for leading us uh, before the throne of grace, and uh, man, getting my heart uh, fired up to be able to um, just point to Jesus with y'all this morning. Well, my name's Scott Gaskill. Uh, I was here last week, uh, and uh, if you remember, last week I stood up here and I was like, hey, you know, our family's about to, uh, hopefully, to transition to the Quad Cities. Uh, well, officially, now we are uh, citizens of the Quad Cities. We bought a house uh, last Sunday, like right after church, within like 90 minutes of church, okay? We drove up to this house. Uh, it wasn't even listed anywhere online. This dude had just put a red for sale sign in his yard with his phone number on it. And uh, we drove up to it. He was in the front yard and we bought it 90 minutes later. So uh, uh, it was a crazy God story. I'll tell you that uh, some other time if you want to hear it. But um, man, it's just good to be with y'all and uh, to get to rejoice in what the Lord is doing. So this morning, as you might have guessed, uh, we're going to be in uh, the Come and See series, looking at John's gospel together again. Uh, and if you were with us last week, this text is kind of predictable, right? It's like a, we're doing two parts of the same story. Jesus had this interaction with this unnamed woman in Samaria. And today we get to talk about her come and see response. 
So as we jump into the second part of this story together, uh, I want to give you all a bit of warning, okay? Uh, I hope you did not come in hungry this morning. I mean physically hungry this morning because God told me to tell y'all we're going to be talking about food all morning, okay? Uh, so if you've got a snack, pull that out. You might want to because we are literally going to be talking about food for most of the morning. Well, so today... We're going to be looking together at this unnamed Samaritan woman's come and see response to her first conversation with Jesus. And couched in that response, we're going to unpack a conversation that Jesus had with the disciples while, he, while this woman was back in Sychar telling anyone who would listen about Jesus. So as we begin, I'd like to start with a question, okay? Here's my question for you as we get started. In your life, is there one specific meal that you've eaten that stands out above all the other meals you've eaten, right? Like we, we could make a living of eating, right? Some of us eat uh, like four or five, six times a day, all right? Uh, and so when you think of all the times that you've eaten in your life, is there one meal that stands out above all the other meals, okay? Uh, and when, when you're thinking about that, I, I don't mean the, the fellowship that happened around that meal. I don't mean the phenomenal conversation that happened over that meal. I mean that when you put that food in your mouth that day, it was so delightful to your senses that it stands out in your memory above the other meals that you've put in your mouth. You with me? Uh, for the Gaskill family, one of those meals, okay, that uh, stands out above the rest that we've eaten together uh, is a meal that we had at Sebastian's Bistro, which is a Disney resort restaurant outside of Disney World that serves Caribbean food. I tell you what, uh, you can have your thoughts, whatever they are about Disney, but Disney does food right, okay? That's my testimony this morning. Okay, we went there almost two years ago, and it was such a delight to our taste buds that it's come up in conversations multiple times. And the reason I'm telling you about this morning is because it came up in conversation just a little over a week ago, uh, this week, I think, as we were having steak uh, and celebrating the purchase of our new home, okay? If you get one thing down this morning, it's the Gasco family. We love food, all right? So one of the things that we loved about our fine dining experience at, at Sebastian's Bistro was that there were, uh, there's not a ton of options when you roll up into this place, okay? They do what they do and they do it really well. And so I think you had two options that day. One of them was what you're gonna drink. And the other one was, I think there was like three options of the entree because it was like family style. And so our family had to look at each other and decide which one of those things we wanted to eat on the table, okay? Well, I'd love to stand up here and tell you about each course of this delicious Caribbean meal that we ate that day and about the celebrated house-made coconut pineapple bread pudding that we literally had a whole second helping of that morning, okay? I would love to do that, but that's not the point of this illustration, all right? You see, the point of this illustration is that each member of the Gaskill family remembers things that we ate from Sebastian's Bistro with sufficient detail, and we'd love to tell you about it some other time. But the reason that we would love to tell you about the guava butter on these buttery pull-apart uh, rolls that we had that day or the slow-cooked moho pork with mango sambal, I don't even know what that is, but it tasted wonderful, uh, is because we loved that meal. That meal was so good that it left an imprint in our memories. You might even say it sits on our hearts. Sacred City, in a much higher and holier way, 
What we're going to see this morning is that living on mission and having a come and see motto when it comes to Jesus Christ demands one thing at the core, and it's this. It's that we love Jesus with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's that we have had experiences with Jesus that are so good that they've left an imprint in our hearts and our souls and our minds in such a way that we can't help but tell other people about him. You see, this morning, I think God wants each one of us to hear, because Jesus is your savior, you must join him on his mission. My sermon title for this morning is, Jesus' mission is more important than eating, y'all. This morning, we're going to see that believers are sent to continue Jesus' mission. We're going to see that Jesus' mission is more important than eating, and that there is awesome urgency to Jesus' mission. Because Jesus is our Savior, we must join him on his mission. Will you all pray with me as we get started? God, our desire this morning is simply this. We long to hear from you. We long that you would do a work in our hearts that whatever it is that has been holding us back from testifying to others, to bearing witness to others, how great and how awesome of a savior you are, that you would deal with our hearts this morning, that the things that we would hear from you would set us free and that we would leave this place testifying to your goodness and to your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here's where we're going to start this morning, church. Believers are sent to continue Jesus' mission. I know last week I took a little while uh, to get to the text, all right? So this morning uh, we're going to jump right into that text uh, in God's word to see that God the Father sent Jesus with a specific mission and purpose And as believers, we're called to continue this mission, right? Remember, if you remember last week, uh, Jesus uh, rolls up on this well in uh, Samaria outside of a city called, uh, wow, that was a bad uh, slip there, outside of a city called uh, Sychar, okay? And when he's there, the text records in John chapter 4, verse 4, that Jesus had to go through Samaria, Remember, we were talking about this strict Jews actually would have had to go around Samaria, but the text says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. You see, Jesus' itinerary, we talked about last week, was subject to the sovereign and providential plan of God. There was a harvest to be gathered in Samaria, and God intended to send his best combine. Saving this unnamed Samaritan woman from Satan, sin, and death certainly seems to have been a part of Jesus' purpose and his mission. Now I want you to see it in today's text. At the heart of Jesus' conversation with his disciples, we see Jesus say in verse 34, remember we're going to unpack the rest of this, but I just want to zero in on this first. Jesus said to them in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus says loud and clear to his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Church, the truth that Jesus was sent from heaven to earth to accomplish his father's will is one of the main themes in John's gospel. 
We saw it first in the prologue, right? Like at the beginning of John's gospel, Jesus, the divine logos, the true light, which gives light to everyone, he came into the world. Well, how did he come into the world? He was sent by his father. And when he was sent by his father, he, in the, in the first few verses here, gave the right to become children of God to all who received him, to those who believed in his name. And when he was sent by God the Father, he put on flesh, he dwelt among us, and from his fullness we received grace, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. But I want you to see that this is not just in our text this morning. Uh, this is not just in the prologue of John's gospel. It is throughout the entirety of John's gospel. So I want to give you this flyby of like, I mean, this is just a select few verses in John's gospel that talk about Jesus being sent and the purpose of him being sent by the Father. Because at the core of our text is the fact that Jesus was sent to accomplish his father's work. So here we go. In verse th chapter 3, verse 34, that you all have already talked about, okay? It says this, For he whom God has sent, that's Jesus, Jesus utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. He was sent, and he's speaking God's words, and he gives the Holy Spirit. John 5, 24, uh, where we're going to be soon, says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So if you believe in the one that God sent, Jesus, you'll have eternal life. John 6, 38 to 40 says, For I've come down from heaven, Jesus says, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. There we see it again. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. See it again in chapter 12, verses 49 to 50. He says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. Here it is. What to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. In John 17, in the high priestly prayer, in verse 3, Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And this all builds up to one of the most telling verses about our missional identity in all of John's gospel. But before we get there, I want you to think about this. In today's text, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And if you went through and you looked at all the verses in John's gospel about the father sending Jesus to earth, what you'd see is that the father sent Jesus to be a dealer of eternal life, okay? And not like, not a dealer, I know this is a crass illustration, but not a dealer of cocaine that only goes to the people with all the high dollars that can afford it, right? But a dealer of eternal life to the people that actually like a crack dealer, to the people that can't afford it and never should be touching this stuff and that he's pushing it on because they don't deserve it. He came to the sick, to the down and out, to deal eternal life to those who don't deserve it. That's Jesus' purpose that he was sent with, to be an eternal life dealer. And this is what he says to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. 
And when he'd said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Y'all, this is one of my uh, favorite verses in John's gospel. Uh, it's because it often makes me think about uh, part of my heritage, okay? What you might not know about me is that uh, I'm like, uh, I've got some huge heritage in the United States Postal Service, okay? My great-grandfather was the postmaster of Arlington, Iowa, okay? Uh, my grandpa spent his entire career working uh, in the Postal Service alongside of my grandma, okay? And so uh, there's a lot of heritage for me in the Postal Service. So when I think about John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, so I send you, I think about a postmaster. Think about the postmaster in Moline, right? This dude was sent by the postmaster general uh, at the United States Postal Service to your city uh, to be be one who not only is sent there, but to be the one then that sends others to deliver the mail to your door, right? This dude is sent and sending the way that our God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is a sent and sending one. I wonder, could it be any more clear when the resurrected Jesus says to his fathers, hey, as the Father sent me, so I sent you. Y'all, if he came dealing eternal life to those who did not deserve it, then we should be carrying in his footsteps, pointing them to him to receive eternal life in his name. He says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And then he breathed the Holy Spirit to them. If you were to look in the synoptics, okay, in, in, in Luke's gospel and see the parallel of this, when uh, before Jesus ascends into heaven, what's, what's he saying? It's in Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The way that Luke records it, it was the last thing Jesus said to his followers before he ascends into heaven. And I, I think, isn't it interesting that Jesus who called the, who's called the savior of the world in our text this morning has this parallel shape to his mission and ministry that he calls his disciples to. You see, Jesus uh, starts in Jerusalem and, and then the gospel goes out to Judea. And then in chapter four right here, we see Jesus going up to Samaria. And in the end, the gospel is gonna go to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus' food is to do the will of the one who sent him and to accomplish his work. It makes sense then since Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you, that our food, church, would be to continue Jesus' heaven-sent mission from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's where we live here today, right? So what does that look like, right? Because since we can't give the gift of eternal life the way that Jesus did, Continuing Jesus' mission for us largely looks like bearing witness to Jesus, the one who does offer eternal life. This too we see throughout the entirety of John's gospel. If we went back to the prologue, right, we see hints of our God-given mission to bear witness about Jesus in the example of John the Baptist. Look at verses six to eight in chapter one. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. And that's so confusing when you just start reading the gospel of John with people that never met Jesus before because they're like, oh, it's got to be the writer, like the author, John, right? And they're like, no, this is a different John, okay? John the baptizer, right? Anyways, it's that John. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. 
So it would seem if, if the greatest among men, right, John the Baptist, if his role was to come and bear witness to Jesus, that normal people like Joe's and, and Jane's like you and me would follow in his footsteps to bear witness to the one who can give eternal life. And that's exactly what we see this Samaritan woman doing in our text this morning, isn't it? Look at verses 28 to 30. So the woman left her water jar and she went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ, she says. And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. You see, this woman whom we identified last week as a promiscuous woman who was most likely a social outcast, she went right back up into that town that had cast her out and she shared her testimony about Jesus with anyone who would listen. And many people came to see Jesus as a result of her testimony. I wanna slow down for a moment and notice a few things about this woman's testimony, okay? As we think about being people who are called to continue in Jesus' mission, as we think of ourselves as those that are called to bear witness to the one that offers eternal life, look what we can learn from this woman's come and see testimony. The first thing, look at her word. She says, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Y'all, this might seem like the most obvious thing in the world, but her testimony was come and see, not look at me. And I think that's where we get hung up sometimes when we try and share our story with people, right? Is our story ends up more about us look at me, then it is come and see. Y'all, when we testify to Jesus, when we bear witness to Jesus, yes, our stories can be a part of it, of what leads people to his story, but it needs to start with come and see. It needs to be filled with come and see, not just look at me. Y'all with me? The second thing that I want to learn from the way that this woman testifies to Jesus is that our stories are bridges to his story. You see, she starts out, come and see a man who told me everything. And then she says, like hesitantly, like a question, could this be the Christ? If you remember last week, she just got done having a conversation with Jesus about water and, and that water conversation led to some much deeper things than she was expecting to talk about. And that led into a worship conversation. And, and she threw up the doubts that she had and, and she threw up all the barriers between her and this Jewish man, right? And, and the end of that conversation, she's like, yeah, I know that the Messiah is coming. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. And so her story is, man, I did a lot of things, y'all. I had five husbands, and then, and then this dude came, and he told me about it, and he already knew. And, and now her story is, could this be the Christ? You see, her story was just a bridge to his story because that's who he says he is. And the third thing that I want us to learn from this woman's testimony is that our stories are appetizers and not the main course. Y'all, we don't want people to get caught up in thinking about what God did in our life and get tripped up and stalled out there and not make it to the one who did all the work in our lives. 
You see, our stories got to be more like those pull-apart rolls at Sebastian's Bistro that were pretty good. They were all right. I put some guava butter on them. I never had guava butter in my life. But that was just uh, an appetizer, a starter, something to get my mouth salivating so that when I got to the entree, that slow-cooked moho pork, I was just eating it up, right? I'm an Iowan, right? Like we, we produce the most pigs in the world. I love me some pork. You see, our stories are meant to be like that. They're meant to be appetizers and not the main course to get us so that we would dive into Jesus, the bread of life. See, I'd love to share some of my uh, college ministry uh, days with you uh, as we think about sharing our stories, okay? Uh, we need to be, God is calling us to be, come and see people with the come and see motto that share our testimonies, that bear witness to Jesus on a regular basis, okay? And when I was in college ministry and we were teaching people to share their testimony, uh, it could be your testimony, uh, your story about how Jesus saved you and what he saved you out of. It could be uh, just a testimony like I was sharing with the worship team this morning about what God did this week and how my wife and I blew a tire on a trailer on the side of Interstate 80 and God sent uh, a man from Sacred City to come and and bail me out because I'm not handy at all and to solve our problems, right, And, and to help us on our way. But we need to learn to be people that tell good stories so that those stories can be a bridge to his story, okay? When I was in college ministry, I would say there was five C's to sharing your personal testimony, okay? And here's here's they are. I'm just going to rock through them quick. The first one is uh, in sharing your story, it's got to be conversational, okay? You can't be like Scott up here in the pulpit telling stories that carry on and on all day, right? We've got to make our stories conversational so that they can fit into that chance interaction that you have with your neighbor when you're in the front yard and we both just happen to be out there at the same time. It's got to be in a way that I can fit it into a conversation. Uh, The second C for sharing your testimony is it's got to be concise, right? It's got to be bite-sized. This woman could put it in two sentences, okay? Uh, We need to learn to point to Jesus and testify to Jesus in a way that is bite-sized so that people are still hungry for some more after we share our story with them, right? Not just concise or contextualized, it's also gotta be childlike, okay? You've gotta not only uh, like say true things in your story, but you've gotta believe them. You've gotta be in awe of the Jesus that you're testifying about, okay? And so I want us to be the people that when we testify to Jesus, uh, we're like my son when he was telling me about uh, a baseball game that he played that I couldn't be at. I hate not being at his games, right? And so I want to hear about them the minute they're done. And so a couple of weeks ago, uh, grandpa and grandma are there and they're taking him home because we were uh, uh, off on in in Missouri, okay? And so, uh, and he's telling me about it. He's like, and he's like, dad, and and this ball that I hit, it hit off the base of the fence tonight. Like it was so close to being a home run, right? Like, and, and he believed that he knew that I would delight in hearing it, right? Like, I want us to be childlike in the way that we share our testimonies of what Jesus has done, that we are fully convinced and in awe of who Jesus is. But we also need to be Christ-centered in the sharing of our stories, okay? If Jesus is not the hero of our stories, I don't know what we're doing sharing the story. So part of what God's calling us to do is to realize that Jesus' purpose and his mission was to deal eternal life and that ours is to continue in that mission, pointing to him as the one who can offer eternal life. 
The second thing I want us to think about this morning is that Jesus' mission, it's more important than eating. In order to see that, let's get our faces back in the text. Look at verse 27 with me. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was saying, or that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, who do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Y'all, I hate to do this. I hate to be hard on the disciples, right? Because if if I I know for a fact that if I was put in the disciples' shoes in their situations, I don't think I would do any better than them, all right? But are you ever amazed at how clueless these men are about Jesus and his mission, seemingly? Not a single one of them understood why Jesus was talking to this woman. It's not like somebody asked, hey, what's Jesus doing talking to that woman over there? And like two or three of them like picked up on it and they're like, well, maybe he's like sharing about him being the Messiah. It's kind of a big deal, right? Like, uh, no, not a single one of them has a clue why he's talking with this woman. Even after the, the woman heads back into town to share her testimony, they're still confused. Look at, carry on. After she goes into town, verse 31 says, meanwhile... The disciples, they're urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? So you can say, I think it's okay for us to point to how clueless the disciples are here as long as we're willing to learn from their example and and, uh, admit that we are clueless as well. You see, notice how Jesus says they don't even know about the food that he has. They don't even know about it. Translation, the disciples are so focused on food, they don't even know about the Father's mission that Jesus has sent on. Translation, the disciples are thinking with their stomachs while Jesus is thinking about souls. Translation, the disciples are stuck on short-term caloric satisfaction, but Jesus knows the supreme satisfaction of fulfilling the purpose that his father sent him to accomplish. Church, I wonder, is this a satisfaction that we are familiar with? You see, I think if we're honest, earthly things often distract us from living on mission as well. I think if we're honest, earthly things often distract us from experiencing this supreme satisfaction just like it did for the disciples. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This is why one of the outcomes when Jesus tells the parable of the sower and then he's interpreting for them is that there were seeds sown among thorns and, and those, they, they hear the word of God, but the, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This is why John in, in, the, um, in the letter that he wrote later in 1 John chapter 2 He says, do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God, right? Translate, that's that's what Jesus came to do, to do his Father's will, abides forever. Church, earthly distractions, they're not going away. But our hearts can change as we make a lifestyle of turning from those distractions and turning back to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ over and over again. 
You see, the good news of the gospel is that in Christ, we are no longer distracted sinners, but we are now saints. Amen? You see, we need to remember that we are in the world, but not of the world. Translation, we are citizens of heaven here on earth with a heavenly purpose. Transition, earth is not our long-term home, so while we're here, we need to live on earth as it is in heaven, right? Transition, if we are confident that Jesus has prepared a place for us in heaven, then we should spend a good amount of time telling other people about the one that could prepare a place in heaven for them as well. Can I share with you three ways that God used this text to encourage me to live on mission this week? Would that be okay with y'all? Here's the first one. The highest joys found in life are found in living in mission, on mission in community by the power of the gospel. See it in the text. Look at verse 36. Jesus says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. This week, God reminded me that some of the highest joys in life come from living on mission in community by the power of the gospel. It reminded me that in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells us that there's going to be a party in heaven every time a sinner repents and puts their faith in Jesus. Now I want to be a part of that because if there's a party happening in heaven, that sounds like a fullness of joy for us to experience, right? City, let me tell you, the highest joys in my life have come in these such moments. The highest joys in my life came when my daughter Kate came home from preschool and told us that she was testifying to her preschool teacher about her faith in Jesus, right? The highest joys in my life have gotten to be in those moments when I got to be present when God transferred somebody from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And I just got to be there and watch him at work. The highest joys in my life were in a season when in 18 months, like I got to baptize, to dunk 13 different people because the community around me was faithfully testifying to the good news of Jesus Christ and God brought in the harvest. These are the most joyful times in life. I think we should want more of that. Amen. The second thing that God used this in this text to encourage me uh, this week was when Jesus is everything to us, bearing witness to him will feel like the most natural thing, y'all. Don't get me wrong, like we are gonna be incredibly dependent no matter what you're doing, living on mission. You're gonna be incredibly dependent upon the Holy Spirit, right? He's gonna be the one that sets the table for you in conversation. He's gonna be the one that gives you words to speak. He's gonna be the one that empowers you to love people and to serve them in a way that would provide opportunities to share the hope that you have in Christ. But here's the deal. When our cup is overflowing with the water, this living water that Jesus offered this woman, the most natural thing when you have a full cup is to run into other people and to spill it out on them, right? That's just the way that a full cup works. Church, it's painfully obvious when I look back at my life that the seasons that I was most satisfied in Christ were the seasons that I was most fruitful on mission. 
I love going on new adventures with Jesus because stepping out into a new frontier, it forces me to trust him with new things. And these have been some of my most fruitful seasons in life, but it's because in those seasons, I am most satisfied in Christ because I have a tendency once I get a little bit down the road to think that maybe I'm the one that's good at walking down this path instead of recognizing that he's the one that's been carrying me along this entire time. But for some reason in those new seasons, in those pioneering seasons, In those seasons when I step into new opportunities, I am completely aware of my dependence upon him. And that's when I'm most satisfied in him. And it happens to be when I've been the most fruitful. One such season like this for me was when God called Emily and I into college ministry at the University of Iowa. You see, uh, we both went to college at UNI in Cedar Falls. Uh, Neither one of us went to Iowa. Neither one of us had stepped foot on campus there. Uh, And so as we were transitioning to doing church-based college ministry there in Iowa City, uh, we just put it out there. And the summer before we went, we're like, God, we are asking that you would save 50 freshmen through our ministry this year. Would you draw 50 freshmen to Christ through this Verve ministry that we had an opportunity to to lead that year? And that's what we just kept asking God faithfully for. Y'all, I didn't even know where the Iowa Memorial Union was but I knew the one who offered eternal life, right? I had no clue uh, how to get around this city. I didn't know anything about this campus, but we knew Jesus and we faithfully pointed to him that year. And if you looked back in our journals with us, uh, I have the names of 45 freshmen that year that through us and the students that we were leading all came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that year. And I'm just gonna go out on a whim and say there was probably five of them that I was not aware of because oftentimes I am not aware of the things that God is doing in our midst, amen? You see, I think the reason that we were so faithful that that year and that God was so fruitful that year is because as we stepped into a new place where we were uncomfortable, we were most satisfied in him because we didn't know that we could be dependent upon ourselves because we couldn't. You see, if God is our everything, bearing witness to him is gonna feel like the most natural thing. Can I share with you one more encouragement? the way that God encouraged me through this text to live on mission, it's this. It's that God loves to set the table for our conversations about him. Amen? You see, Jesus rolls up to this well outside of Sychar that led to a conversation about living water, right? Water leads to a conversation about living water. For Jesus, the disciples went to get some food in the town and it led to a conversation about greater satisfaction of living on mission. For them realizing that his food, living in the purpose that God sent him for is better than the food that they were eating. Church, when we have eyes to see the earthly things around us as gifts from God, we will start to see that God has set the table for us to bear witness about Jesus in our day-to-day lives better than a waiter at one of those uh, family restaurants like the Machine Shed. You know, those waiters, they set the table for you. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they're putting that mashed potatoes out on the table. They're putting that roast beef out on the table. They are setting the table for you like before you ever even roll up on that place. This is what God does for us on mission. We just need eyes to see it sometimes. 
You see, for me, one of the ways that God rolls uh, out the table and sets the table for me on mission is that I could get into a conversation about Jesus uh, with about anybody that would be willing to talk to me about baseball, about my dad, or anybody that can tr- crack some drinking stories, okay? And here's why. It's because uh, I could tell anybody that's willing to talk to me about their dad, I, could, I, I guess they're going to turn the conversation, they're going to ask me about my dad, and my dad was sitting next to me the day that I met Jesus, and I remember his face when he turned and looked at me and said, Scott, like, do you want to receive this with me? Like, and that moment for me and my dad was life-changing, right? And so if, if I can talk to somebody else about their dad and then I can talk about my dad, I'm going to get to tell them my come and see story about Jesus, right? Because God has set the table for me in that way. Uh, an, uh, another thing is, is baseball. One of the things that my dad and I shared uh, uh, life stories with is in the world of baseball. And the reason why, and anybody that's willing to talk to me about baseball, I could get that conversation going to my come and see story about Jesus is because before I put my faith and trust in Christ, before I found life in Jesus' name, the thing that I was trying to find life in was baseball. I was trying to be uh, promoted in the game of baseball. I was trying to be known for being a baseball player. I was trying to find my satisfaction and fulfillment in playing this game. And it's when I turned from that to finding life in Jesus that, that it all changed for me. And so I could turn in that way. And, and the same thing uh, with, with uh, drinking. You know, like it's kind of crass sometimes, but if you get in an environment and somebody just starts telling drinking stories, I'm like, hey, I can one-up your drinking story. When I was in college, I was the king of the keg stand. And now I know the king of kings the author of life, the one who has offered us living water that is actually one place that we can be satisfied and we don't need to be inebriated in order to try and be set free, that we can find freedom in Christ that is way better than anything you could ever find on the hill at UNI. You see, we know a God that loves to set the table for us in these conversations. We just need to know what the coat hangers in our life are where God has done these things in our life? What are these topics so that we can learn to ask questions of other people and then trust that if they have decent social skills, they'll ask us questions about those things as well and it'll set the table for us to testify to Jesus. You see, one of the main problems in our life though is our earthly fixation. And in our earthly fixation, we forget about the urgency of our Father's mission. Like the disciples, we urge others to eat food, but when was the last time that we urged anyone to take a fresh look at our Savior? And so that's where we're going to end today. The rest of our time, I want to talk about how there's an awesome urgency to Jesus' mission. See, the conversation now turns from food to farming, okay? Look at verse 35. Jesus says, Do not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which for you you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor." Y'all, my wife would be the first to tell you that I know very little about farming, okay? She's a farm girl. She grew up on a farm, and I've learned a lot by being a part of that family, okay? The Peltz family is really good at farming, uh, but I am still no expert. But I do know a few things, okay? 
I have a few things that help me unpack this text. I know this. I know that in the spring, that's when farmers plant their seed, right? Uh, in this text, that means sowing, okay? Sowing is the words they use for planting seeds, okay? I know that that happens in the spring. I know that after a few months pass, right? In this text, it says four months, but I know that after a series of months pass, you know, here in, in Illinois and in Iowa, right, that, uh, that that's, that time passes. And after that, after the seed's sown and this time passes, that's when the harvest begins. I know that in the fall is when the farmer reaps a harvest, right? That seems pretty elementary, probably to most of us. Uh, but this understanding of farming can trip us up when we're trying to understand what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus, like he often does, takes an earthly subject matter that's elementary to us, and he tells us how it's even better in the kingdom of God. Here in our text, Jesus says, when it comes to heavenly harvest, there is absolutely no need to wait any longer. He says, we don't have to wait four months after sowing seeds. We don't have to wait at all because the only thing that matters in this harvest is that Jesus Christ is here. He says, we don't have to wait any longer because the king of the kingdom of God is here to rule and reign. He says, the Lord of the harvest is now walking through the fields. We don't have to wait any longer. You see, Jesus says, we can keep on sowing, but since people have been sowing for a long time and now I'm here, he says, you might even get the benefit of reaping seeds that you never sowed. Look back at verse 35 with me. He says, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Allow me to put this a little bit more directly. You know, I'm kind of blunt. Let's just, let's just hit it that way. Jesus says, y'all are stuck in the earthly way of thinking about the Father's heavenly work. And it's got you holding back and waiting where there is no need to wait any longer, church. Think about the countless ways that our earthly way of thinking keeps us from having a sense of urgency when it comes to living on mission. Y'all have had these conversations, right? Uh, it's like in your MC, you're, tr you're tr trying to talk about a conversation about living on mission together. And essentially what you hear from somebody is like, hey, you can count us out for a while, right? And, and the couple that's saying you can count us out for a while is saying that it really is because of their season of life. And so essentially, if you got down to the nuts and bolts of it, they're like, hey, uh, we'll jump in and live on mission with y'all uh, when our kids can brush their own teeth and wipe their own butts, right? Uh, when they're not so dependent on me anymore, uh, then we'll get busy living on mission. Well, what if God's saying, no, 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 there is awesome urgency to the mission that God has called you on? And what if we flip those excuses on their heads? What if we see that this, this season of early parenting is one of the most humbling seasons in life? Amen, young parents, right? Uh, no young parent thinks, I got this all figured out. I am so good at taking care of these small children and raising them up in the way that God would have them go, right? Like, it's a humbling season of life. What if we realize that God dwells in a high and holy place, like it says in Isaiah, but he also dwells with those who are humble and contrite in spirit, and that this might be one of the best seasons to reap and sow in life. Uh, for us, right, uh, in, in our lives, in that season, I remember Emily jumped in, uh, some, somebody, you know, that knew what they were doing in the kingdom, tied together all these ladies uh, that had all had kids at the same time, and Emily starts going to this uh, young moms group. 
Y'all, we are 14 years beyond our first children, uh, first child. And uh, still this summer, my son Jacoby is playing baseball on a team with two of those moms have a kid on the baseball team that he played this summer. Like that's 14 years worth of opportunities that God prepared for us to live on mission and testify to Jesus just from jumping in in that season and making some new friends in the same season of life. Another one of the excuses that I often hear when people are, are talking about living on mission is, uh, you know, they're saying, well, well the, you know, uh, you don't know this person's story. I'm trying to play the long game with this person uh, I'm living on, that I'm living on mission to. I want to build a solid relationship with them before I share about Jesus. And, and don't get me wrong, okay? Uh, there is something uh, wise to uh, just waiting for the opportunities that God provides in conversations. Uh, but if that is an excuse to living in the urgency of God's mission, that's what I want to deal with this morning. You see, some of us uh, use this relational side as an excuse to keep us from living out who we are in Christ. You see, the reason why I think that is because if we're truly satisfied in Jesus, if, if we are his and he is ours and we are drinking and have drunk and are satisfied in the living water that he offers us, then I think it would be more like us having to hide Jesus from someone than anything, Right? If, if there's people in our lives that we have real deep relationships with and they don't know who our Jesus is, like that has to be right more because we're hiding it from them than anything else. Because if we're truly satisfied in him, it should be spilling out of our lives onto theirs. And so instead of trying to play the long game, what if we were just got better at contextualizing? What if we got better at understanding their story? What if we got better at understanding the lies that they're believing? And when we tell our stories, it's in a way, in a, in a language that they understand. And it's particularly like put together in a way that sits in, in the way that they would understand it would help them to turn from the things that they're worshiping and to worship Jesus. Instead of waiting, what if we put our investment into contextualizing our stories to help them? You see, there's an awesome urgency to Jesus' mission. Look at the urgency in this Samaritan woman, okay? From what John recorded for us, all this woman said was, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Y'all, this woman, she had no Bible knowledge. She would get last place in Bible quizzing. But she shared faithfully her testimony about Jesus. This woman had zero hesitation in sharing with people in her city. She still had doubts, right? Like she doesn't say, this is the Christ. She says, can this be the Christ? But she didn't doubt for one second that her fellow citizens of Sychar needed to come and see Jesus. She wasn't even one day removed from her former way of living, but she knew the one that had offered her living water and she testified to him. And this is what it worked, how it worked out. Look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Sacred City, it's time for us to fulfill our purpose, to be satisfied in Jesus and satisfied in accomplishing the Father's work and to experience great joy in living on mission in community by the power of the gospel. And so as we wrap up this morning, I'd like to challenge each one of us to think about three questions, okay? Three questions I wanna leave you with. Here they are. The first one is this. One, what's one habit that I could build into my life that would help me be more satisfied in Jesus? You see, if we have one problem on mission, I think it's that we are not satisfied in Jesus. We continue to be satisfied in the things of this world instead of trusting that he is the bread of life, that he offers the living water, that there is nothing better than knowing him and what he offers. And so what's one habit that you could build into your life that would help you to be caught up in Jesus and, and what he's done for us and the way he provides for us and the way that he's forgiven us of our sins and transfers us into the kingdom of God and, and has adopted us, made a way by grace through faith to adopt us into his family? What's one habit that you could build into your life to help you be more satisfied in Jesus? Second, the second question is this, who are the three people that God has most clearly called me to live on mission to. Y'all, you could write down 8, 10, 12 people. I don't care how many people are on your list. I just want to start simple. Take time, ask the Holy Spirit, who are the three people right now in your life that he has most clearly called you to live on mission to? Okay? Who are those people? He'll tell you. He'll make it known. They're probably your neighbors. They're probably people you work out alongside of. They're probably people that you work with maybe somebody in your family. It's usually pretty obvious. But then thirdly, here's the question. What questions can I ask these people that might open a door to a conversation when I could share my come and see story with them? I'm asking, what are, the, what are the coats that you can regularly hang your, the coat hangers, sorry, that you can regularly hang your coat on, your story on? For me, it's baseball. For me, it's my dad. For me, it's things like that. What is it in your life? And how can you get really good at asking people questions about their dad? Man, I'm just so interested in hearing about your dad. Man, tell me about your dad. And then they happen to ask you questions back. Hey, Scott, what about your dad? And here we go, and we're off and running. What are the questions that you can ask somebody about that regularly would open a door for your come and see story? to share with these people, okay, full circle. Think back to that meal, that meal that you ate that somehow tickled your taste buds so much that it was better than any other meal you've eaten in your life. What was it about that that makes you still remember it today? Now, I want you to think, what is it for you about Jesus? What has he done? Who is he? How has he showed up in the major moments of your life to satisfy you, to set you free, to do the work in your heart that you could never do? What things that were completely outside of your control has he done that just left an imprint in your heart 
to remind you how great and how awesome he is. Man, let's think about those things. Let's think about those things on a regular basis. Let's remind ourselves of those things so that as we're walking around, that's what spills out of our life as we testify to him. Will y'all pray with me? God, we thank you that it is true that you are great and awesome, that you are the resurrection and the life, that you are the bread of life, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. Jesus, you are the very son of God. You are so awesome. You are, in this text, the savior of the world. These people that thought they were on the outside in Samaria thought maybe you're just the savior of Jews in Jerusalem and Judea. They're like, no, no, no. He is indeed the savior of the world. God, you have done great things. You have done great things in our life and it should be our joy. It should be our privilege to then testify to your greatness, to testify to the goodness of the gospel, to testify to what you've done in your life, death and resurrection that changed everything in our disposition eternally. God, would you make us more aware of who you are and what you have done? Would you set the table for us in conversation to tell people about those things? And would it become our great joy to live on mission in community by the power of the gospel as we bear witness to you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.